Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses at 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, and as you do that, uh, let me say that as we approach this Christmas season already, we have kicked it off in a very appropriate way, but I thought it might be nice for us to take an extended break from our study in Luke. We've missed several weeks now already, uh, but take an extended break so that we might better consider this season before us. Now, I realize that may not be the most reformed thing to do, but I think it is always needful and right to remind ourselves uh, and to focus our hearts on the reason why we are celebrating. Now, some of you are saying, yes, a break from Luke. Some of you are saying, will we ever get through it? And the answer to both of those statements is yes. Yes, a break. And yes, we will get through it one of these days. But today, we begin what will be a five-part Christmas series, a series that I am calling Christmas in Isaiah. Now, that leads to the obvious question, why Isaiah? Why not one of the Gospels? Why not some New Testament material, New Testament material uh, to get us into the Christmas season? Uh, and part of that answer is we have spent so much time in the Gospels already. I didn't want to recover the ground that we've already covered so soon, so in our recent past. Not that that would have been inappropriate, but, and we very well could have taken up a New Testament passage to do this, but as I thought about the Christmas season, it was those Old Testament prophecies, those that we use in our Advent time, uh, that, that came to mind over and over and over again. Um, it's sort of an opportunity to, to give us the New Testament uh, from an Old Testament perspective. Uh, and nowhere are more of those prophecies gathered together in one place than here uh, in the book of Isaiah. So much so, and, are, and they're so specific to the life of Christ and foreshadowing what will come that many scholars call Isaiah the fifth gospel or the Old Testament gospel. Uh, and so again, it, it points us ahead very clearly. And so my hope is that by looking at these prophecies in this way and looking at the specific events in the life of Israel that brought them on, uh, my hope is that we will learn much about ourselves, uh, that we'll learn much about our God, and that we'll learn much about this Savior, that this Word made flesh, this one He sent to take away the sins of the world. And so, uh, it is a Christmas in Isaiah that is before us. Uh, I would also point your attention to one last thing before we move on to get into this. You'll notice that our sermon title today is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And each week, uh, our sermon title will be, or will make reference to, uh, a Christmas carol. Now, there's two reasons why I did that. One, it's just a, a nice touch for a Christmas series, right? You can do something like that. From my standpoint, it was a nice touch, okay? Christmas, it was a nice touch. Um, but the other and more important reason why I've done that is because each carol, uh, I hope, will speak to the heart of our message that week. And so I'm telling you this now to just remind you that when we get there, pay attention. I know those carols are so familiar to us, we can all sing them from memory, but, but this year, as we go through this series, I want to try to focus our hearts on the words, focus our hearts on the messages that those carols have. So, pay attention when we get there. Now, with the time we have left, let's look at Isaiah 9, 
uh, 1 through 7 together. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who, has, who was in anguish. Now, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea and the, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your word, a portion that is near to us, especially this time of year, we pray that you would uh, give us fresh eyes and fresh ears to to hear these words. Uh, Lord, that you would open our minds so that we could behold wondrous things in this, your word. Most of all, Father, we pray that we would see Jesus in this time. We ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Uh, well, as you know, this season, it certainly brings, especially for, for the younger demographic among us, uh, it brings a sense of joyful or maybe anxious, maybe even uh, of agonized expectation. I imagine that for most by now, the lists have been made. They have even been checked twice. And now all that is left is the long buildup, the the, the time to wonder if that perfect gift, that thing that we ask for, that we want most, we wonder, will it actually be ours? Now, if you have children... Or if you can remember back that far to when you were a child during this Christmas season, then you recognize and you understand why I say that all of this can be rather agonizing. Uh, You know, in its expression, at least in its youthful expression, uh, this season uh, can be sort of overwhelming, right? And that's especially true in our world today. Think of all the issues that are before us, supply chain issues and shipping issues and manpower issues. I mean, I haven't even got to the whole naughty and nice issue, and already the odds are stacked against us, right? And so we understand why there's doubt. We understand why there's tension or or anxiety. Unless the gift is in our hands, uh, we can't help but wonder, will we really receive it? Well, as we turn now to to Isaiah chapter 9, we have to believe, as we consider how the original readers of this prophecy would have received it, that they would have received it, or they would have felt a lot like kids anticipating Christmas. And we're going to see that, that what God promises to them here through the prophet Isaiah, uh, that, that it is beyond anything that, that they deserved, beyond anything that they could have imagined, 
And we have to believe that the only proper response was, how could this possibly be? That they should have and that they probably were looking to this prophecy with anxious expectation, even agonized expectation. Even though God speaks very clearly here, the truth is, given the depths of Israel's sin, given, given the extent of their rebellion against God, any honest member of the community would have had to say, how? How will these things possibly come to be? How could this glorious gift really be ours? Again, God, through Isaiah, he anticipates that response And so he shows us here, he shows these original readers uh, his unmeasurable love. He shows us just exactly how these things will come to be. In so doing, he assures us that Christmas will come. He assures us of the eternal salvation that only he can bring. And so... With the time we have left, let's unwrap what Isaiah has for us here. First in this passage, I want you to see the need of a Savior. The need of a Savior. If you are going to subtitle this, we would say the people in darkness. And you see that there in verse 2. Now you'll recall that, that Isaiah, as Isaiah writes this particular prophecy, those who are to receive it, those who would have called themselves the, the children of Abraham, those who would have called themselves the true people of God, the true followers of Yahweh, the only real God, they, in almost every way, every conceivable way, seem to be very far from those people. Their lives seem to be very far from God-fearing. Their lives seem to be very far from followers of, G- of Yahweh. They have rejected his law. They have worshipped in foreign places, places not prescribed by God. Their kings have bartered with foreign powers. Even worse than that, their spiritual leaders have bartered with foreign gods and foreign religions. Yes, the, the sacrifices, they continue, but as the prophets tell us, no longer are those sacrifices a pleasing aroma to God. Instead, they are an abomination to him. In short, though they may say the right things, though they may seem to do the right things, though they may think the right things of themselves, their hearts and their faith and their lives are far from God. They have forgotten this deliverer, this one with whom they must contend. This one who in Isaiah 6, if you want to turn back to that, and you know this passage so well, Isaiah receives this vision of the holy God enthroned on high. And how does he reveal himself? Well, he is one who is high and lifted up, it says there. He has all authority. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. As he speaks... His voice shakes the very foundations of heaven. Not only that, his voice is the voice that spoke worlds and universes into existence. And he is the one there in Isaiah 6 who angels hide their faces from, who sinners like Isaiah cry out before, Woe is me, 
for I am undone. Because he is holy, holy, holy. This is the God that Isaiah receives this prophecy from. And no longer does Israel fear him. No longer do they honor or serve him as God. And so maybe unbeknownst to them, maybe they don't even realize the situation they're in, but the reality is is they are the people in verse 2 of our chapter 9 who walk in darkness. They are the people who dwell in a land of deep darkness. And it is a darkness that is only going to get deeper in the years to come. Because what does Isaiah bring them, at least in these first 39 chapters? What does Ezekiel, what does Jeremiah bring to the people? It is judgment that is coming. Judgment first through through the Assyrians, right? Who will take the northern kingdom. Who will destroy it. Who will send the people into exile. And then later, through the Babylonians, who will do the same to the southern kingdom, Judah will be taken into captivity. The, the temple will be destroyed. Jerusalem will be wiped out. This promised land that God had given to his people will no longer be theirs. And they will be scattered. And all of it is a result of their unrepentant rebellion against the God who had called them. Though they had the patriarchs, though they had God's word, though they even had God's presence with them in the temple, they had chosen to to live their lives their own way. They had turned away from God, and so judgment, deep darkness, was all that they could anticipate. Again, that's the majority of what chapters 1 through 39 of this book are about. Again, that's what all of Ezekiel and Jeremiah are about, right? Judgment is coming. That's the message dire straits and a great need whether they realize it or not a great need of intervention a great need for redemption now we hear all of that and we recognize the truth of it of Israel right of the Old Testament we see that and the challenge always of preaching from the Old Testament is how do we take these truths that we see so clearly and apply them to ourselves but friends I would say to you this morning that this is not a hard truth to apply to ourselves we see in Israel a microcosm of the reality of all humanity right The truth that Israel faces here, that they are people in darkness, people who have rebelled, people who no longer worship God the way that they should, is true for all men, in all ages, in all times. We are those people of Ephesians 2, who come into the world dead in our sins and our trespasses. We are those people of Romans 3, who have all sinned against God. We are those of John 1, The world that is in darkness that needs a great light. Due to unrepentant rebellion, all are in darkness. All face the coming judgment of the thrice holy God. And so all are in great need. In great need of a Savior. Secondly, in this passage, we see the the promise of that Savior. Again, you see it begin there in verse 2. You know, clearly, given the, the depths that, that Israel had sunk to, uh, 
what, what was, what's the proper response of a holy God to that? You know, Isaiah, he, he gives us a glimpse of what it should be there when he sees God high and lifted up, when he falls down before him. He says, woe is me, I am undone. That, that should be the reality for any of us. That should be the reality for all sinners before this God. But notice here that rather than allowing darkness and death to have the final word, our God, Israel's God, as he has done throughout human history, really as he has done before the foundations of the world, but, but as we turn to Scripture from Genesis 3.15 on, he promises intervention. His intervention. And notice what it will bring. It will bring light to those in darkness. Light that, that casts out shadows. Light that brings clarity that brings understanding, that brings freedom and life. It is intervention that, that will bring an increase of God's people. You know, throughout these prophetic books, what God promises to save is a remnant, is, is a small portion of Israel, right? That faithful few. But now, now, through the, the events that are coming, that small remnant, the promise that he made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 15 is going to come to fruition. That, that small remnant is going to become a great nation. It's going to become a great kingdom. Increase of God's people. This intervention will also bring joy. We've just come through the, the Thanksgiving holiday, and so we all know the joy of a bountiful harvest, right? But think of that, that joy that will be even more when you are... Spoils of victory. The spoils that, that will be divided among God's people. And this is important, particularly for this passage, because how does God continuously present himself in this passage? He's the warrior God. He is the God who fights. He even fights for his people. He breaks the yoke. He, he breaks the, the staff, the rod of the nations. Assyria and Babylon, they are just pawns in his hand. Yes, they will conquer, but they will not have the final say. The, the military hardware that they use, the boots and the garments soaked in blood, they will be burned because they will be needed no more. This God will bring an end to war. He'll bring them earthly peace. But even more importantly than that, however, God's intervention will bring them a spiritual peace, right? We, having the, the benefit of looking back, knowing that what is coming, we know that, that what is coming is a spiritual redemption. God will break the yoke of Satan, the, the staff and the rod of sin. Friends, this, this is the real need that all men have. Yes, Assyria and Babylon, they are mighty. Their conquest of Israel will be very real and they will be very awful. But nothing that they will do compares to the spiritual darkness that all of us rest under. If all God had done 
was taking Israel out from under Babylon and Assyria, then friends, they were still to be pitied. They were still not redeemed, right? They were still walking in darkness. They needed a spiritual salvation. And this God, this warrior God, He comes to fight that battle. To end the war. To burn those things that would be used in the battle. And notice, notice how He will do it. Not through a host of angels. Not through natural disasters or cosmic missiles. Not even this time through, through a white horse. Not, not even riding in ready for battle. Instead, he will do it through a divine gift. Through, through a child born. A son given. Now next week we're going to come back to the specifics of that birth. But for now, I just want you to notice the, the titles that this child will bear. This one who will rule, uh, who will have the government upon his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He will rule wisely. Think back to the Old Testament again. Think back to Samuel and those that came to him seeking his counsel. And no one could match him. Friends, here is one who will not only match, not Samuel, y'all know who I'm talking about, Solomon, sorry, who will not only match Solomon but will pass him in all of his wisdom. He is mighty God. People had asked Samuel for an earthly king. And remember Samuel's response was, you don't need an earthly king because your king is the holy, mighty God. Again, here, this child will be that mighty God. He will be, once again, the true king. Not that he ever gave it up, but they will acknowledge him once again as the only king they need. All of their earthly kings... Even the best ones had failed them. So now God will once again come and rule as that acknowledged king. He will be the the everlasting father. Not so much a divine name, but a description of his rule. It will be everlasting. It will be like the compassion of a father to his child. He will be the prince of peace. Peace is what he will bring. All of God's benefits to his people. Again, it is a rule that will increase and a peace that will know no end. Finally, finally, one will come who will sit on the throne of David to rule with justice and righteousness. In short, this is the Redeemer. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah that they had long awaited. He was coming. And in context, what great news that was for these Israelites. The darkness that engulfs them, that is soon to get even deeper, that darkness, it will not prevail. The gift of redemption, of salvation, it's coming. It's good news for Israel, and friends, it's great news for you and I today. This son, uh, his everlasting rule, his peace, his gift, it is for all people. Again, we have the benefit of looking back. We know that it is even for Gentiles, even for you and I, all who will bow before him and worship him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To them is the promise of this Savior. To them is the promise of the one who will take away the sins of the world. 
So we have the promise of the Savior, and that leaves us with a third and final point. But before we get there, let's just acknowledge up front that this is the gift from our introduction. That gift that, that is too good to be true. That gift that we all have to wonder, will we actually have it? Do, do we have to have it in our hands to know that it truly will be? It is agonizing. It, it is anxious as we await it. Surely for Israel, it was those things. And we know reading the New Testament, that it was agonizing for them to await this king, this warrior that they all looked for. They had to wonder, will some power, will some earthly plan derail this king from coming? More than that, they had to wonder, will our own sin stop what God is doing? After all, their history seemed to suggest that it might Maybe they'll just have to wait until they have it in their hands. Well, friends, the answer to all of that is clear and precise. God God says, no, you, you don't have to wait. You can know with confidence, with clarity, with assurance that what he says will happen. And that leads us to our third and final point, which is the assurance of the Savior. And you see it there in that last verse. And I love it. The last part of that last verse 7. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. What accomplishes God's plan? It's not the actions or the will of men. It's not luck. It's not chance. It is God himself and his desire, his passion for his people that will accomplish what he has set out before us. What a wonderful verse that is. The intense passion of God is determined. It is committed to saving who? Sinners. Sinners like you and I. Sinners like Paul in that 1 Timothy chapter 1. Sinners like Zacchaeus. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? Seek and to save the lost. He loves us. It is that jealous love that we see on display here in Isaiah chapter 9. That that jealous love that that will have no other, that that will not be encroached upon, but it is that same love that will not fail. Will not fail to the point that it will send an only begotten Son. It will not fail so much that it will fight for us. And again, recognize that the military kind of terminology here, it is the zeal of who? The Lord of hosts. He is the Lord who commands legions of angels. Armies are at his right hand. But the point here is not just that he has those legions, but he is the one who leads them into battle. He is the one who fights. He is the one who brings complete victory. Friends, there is no anxiety. There is no agonized expectation here. There's no question at all. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, He will do it. He will bring forth this Redeemer. He will bring forth this Messiah. He will accomplish all of His purposes. And again, standing on this side of the cross, we know that that's true. In a little town of Bethlehem, surrounded by cattle and shepherds, the Lord of hosts, he gives his gift. 
a light that shines in the darkness. A light from John 1 that cannot be overcome by the darkness of this world. A light for the revelation even to the Gentiles, Luke chapter 2. A light that, as the angel said, would bring glory to God in the highest and peace to those whom he is well pleased. God will send Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, to fight and to save sinners. Sinners like these Israelites and sinners like you and I. As we stand here today, friends, we know that the zeal of the Lord accomplished what he set out in this prophecy in Isaiah 9. We know that Jesus, he came into the world. We know that he went to the cross, that he died for you and I. And friends, knowing that, knowing that that zeal of the Lord accomplished that, we also know that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish all of his purposes. Not only is he able to save, not only is he able to send this Redeemer, but he is able to bring all of history to completion. This son that he sent into the world to save these Israelites, to save you and I, he will send again. And how will he come? It will not be because of the will of man. It will not be based off of circumstances, off of sheer luck. No, it will be the zeal of the Lord of hosts that does it. He will see it through to the end. And so the question for us today is, do we know this gift of Christmas? Do we know this promise? Do we realize that it is for us? We are those walking in darkness, that we are those with a great need. As if so, if you realize that today, then look to this son, this son that was born, Jesus Christ our Lord. Will you receive him? Will you receive the love of the Father today as we pray together? Father, we do thank you for your word to us, a word that came uh, really from the foundations of the world, uh, but came even beforehand. Through the prophet Isaiah, promising us a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Father, we pray that as we uh, continue on in this time, that you would keep him ever before our eyes. That, that we would, in this series, uh, focus our hearts and our minds on the truth of what Jesus has done. Uh, and Lord, that you would help us all to search our hearts. Uh, help us to ask the hard questions. Uh, and Lord, help us to rest fully in him in this season. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.